The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's do it. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to another edition of the Outer Structure Podcast on a victory Monday and a massive one at that. Woo! Ron Cobb Jr., Matt Stagner, we're here trying to wrap our minds around what we witnessed last night as Chiefs fans uh, and as members of Arrowhead Pride. It is a, a good day to be a Chiefs fan, a great day to be a Chiefs fan, uh, as exhausted and as, as flabbergasted as you probably are at this point, Ron. Man, I I got home pretty late. Um, can't say I left Arrowhead, Arrowhead very quickly. Um, that that was one of those games you stand in your seat for about maybe 10, 20 minutes after the game, just looking around at everyone you were just sitting with that whole game with and just being like, oh, my God, how did that just happen? Um, 13 seconds left, guys. I, I And we'll get into it. But there's 13 seconds on the clock. My body, my heart, my mind had fully it just fully accepted that we had just lost that game. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I did. I there Obviously, there's a part, you know, I didn't leave. I, I knew, you know, we had a chance. But, man for that game to turn out the other way, I just, it's still unbelievable to me. I'm, I'm still trying to process it stags. This would be a totally different conversation. Had that 13 seconds gone a different way, oh obviously, but uh, talk about rising to the occasion and, and really, you know, executing to a ridiculous degree when it mattered. Uh, that was one of those moments that will be part of the highlight reel of Mahomes's career. This will be, embossed in Canton when you talk about Mahomes' legacy you will talk about this game uh and it's and it's uh one of the the rare games in history that had a ton of build-up that exceeded all of those expectations um it was the the matchup the epic matchup and it wasn't decided by penalties it wasn't decided by bad defense though <laughs> it almost was it wasn't decided by you know, uh, injuries or, you know, a sloppy play or turnovers. Yeah. It was decided by two quarterbacks playing at the absolute peak of quarterback play when it absolutely mattered the most. Uh, and and that's one of my big takeaways is Josh Allen was phenomenal in this game. He was everything that they, they said he was going to be. He rose to the moment and delivered what should have been the game-winning touchdown Mahomes just rose a little bit further and and you can't take anything away from Buffalo or from Josh Allen for the way that they played the way that they executed as clutch as he was uh, everything went right for them and it didn't matter in the end uh, because Mahomes played that over my dead body game that we've talked about in the past and maybe that's the difference you know as you think about a game like this and you say we've talked about this before that with Mahomes, you're never out of the game, um, but he can't always do it himself. And there has to be – other guys have to rise to the occasion as well. There were times in this game when Mahomes was doing it on his own. That first drive even, I thought from the very beginning of this game, yeah, um, he didn't get a lot of help on that first drive and found a way to get it done anyway, running the football himself, uh, started to make some of those, those classic Mahomes throws. And you just had this feeling – like he was not going to be denied on this day, but in the end, it wasn't just about Mahomes, was it? There were there were two other guys who should ultimately be joining him in Canton because they rose to the moment as well. 
Yeah, first of all, I think that's a great point on the first drive, man. I mean, how many scrambles did he get? Just even when he wasn't scrambling past the line of scrimmage, the, the little flip to Jarek McKinnon on third down, I mean, that kind of stuff, man. He was special from the get-go. It was not a slow start this time. Uh, you know, obviously the scoring picked up in the second half, but uh, it was it was a great game the entire time. And you're right, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were a huge part of this game as well, obviously. They combined for 19 catches and 200-something yards. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me all of a sudden. Uh bad podcasting but man just the fact that Tyree kill all game he's just kind of taking what he, what the defense has given him some short routes kind of turning them into big plays and then all of a sudden when they needed it the most breaks away from a corner gets open across the field and then oh my gosh you know you got a first team all pro safety tracking him down to tackle him and he makes him look like he's you know he's he's first game in the league and not understanding the angles that Tyree kill uh, kill you think by now you know players would understand that you know a regular angle on a on uh, on a usual ball carry is not the same on Tyree Kill but uh to, it is hard to in, see it him, is hard in the moment to see Go him ahead. throw up the the peace side throw up yeah. the deuces, <laughs> oh that far away from the end zone with a guy still in front of him that had an angle that that is absurd uh that play uh, you know, again, we'll go down in history as 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 that'll be part of Tyree Hill's highlight reel when he goes to Canton, because you don't celebrate when there's still a guy between you and the end zone, <laughs> unless you absolutely know you're going to get there. And there was no stopping him at that moment. Well, I'll be Mr. Buzzkill, too. How are you not getting a taunting penalty on that? Maybe it's because the playoffs and the refs, you know, decided we're not going to do those BS taunting calls at this point. It was more a regular season thing, but. What you know, I saw a lot of that on Twitter, and and even yeah. there was a I think an ESPN article where they said, uh, "Oh, they should have called a taunting penalty, but they didn't, and the touchdown still counted." Um, the touchdown would have counted even if they had a taunting penalty. Yes, they would have just assessed fifteen yards on the kickoff, right? Like, yeah, you're not calling that play back because he's celebrating. That's a uh, that's a penalty after the play uh, is is over. That's that's ridiculous to try to say that that somehow affected the outcome of the game that no call i'm not saying you were thinking that but i know there were some that yeah, were especially yeah. on the buffalo side and on uh, uh, pro football talk and and, uh, and espn and other places i saw mention of that as if it was some missed call that was going to affect the game yeah no but that was the tyreek game or you know that was the tyreek big play and then we also have travis kelsey man which first of all you know he's getting open all day for whatever reason, it did seem like Buffalo just wasn't able to find him over the middle of the field a lot of the times. It does, it, he was just finding those open windows from Mahomes to, to get him the ball to. And then on the last play, he's just that's why he's one of the best tight ends of all time, why he's the first team all pro tight end, not this year, apparently. Uh, that was a great play. Uh, you can't leave Matt Milano in coverage on him in that situation. And Mahomes puts exactly where he needs to. And But you know what? Another point, too, and I wrote this in, in an article. Go check it out on arrowheadpride.com. Um, about Tyreek and Travis's performance, that last play before regular before the game tying field goal at the end of regulation, where Mahomes finds Kelsey to finally to set up that field goal, there was and if you see you know Chase Snyder great fall on Twitter you know future of broadcasting a Chiefs fan but uh, he tweeted it out uh, that was a video I saw at least where and Kelsey talked about this after the game Mahomes and Kelsey were actually communicating during the cadence and I guess they were having a conversation before the play. And Kelsey said, I'm just going to I'm just going to run where the open space is not necessarily the route. Right. He was telling Mahomes that and Mahomes, I guess, somehow maybe didn't confirm it. But then during the cadence, you hear Mahomes go, Kelsey, do it. Kelsey, do it. Do it. Do it. Like, I think telling him, do what you just said to me, like kind of confirming that he should do just get into open space. And what do you know? He, he gets wide open and, and gets, you know, 20, 30 yards to set it up. So. That, that just shows you, you know, we talked about the Kelsey Mahomes chemistry all year. It has been shaky. I, I think that's a fact. It has been like there's been times where it's like they just didn't seem on the same page as much as in the past. But when it matters most, man, that chemistry came through. That was huge. That was maybe the biggest play of the game. I mean, that's a game-winning play right there. And and it's, and it's if you're a Bills fan, how are, you, how are you not paying more attention to where Kelsey is in that play? Chiefs had timeouts. They could have thrown it anywhere on the field. They didn't need to go to the sideline. And they just gave Kelsey a, a, a you know an open release to the inside into the middle of the field. That's pretty inexcusable, Stags. As as great of a of a game and finish as that was for the Chiefs, I think the Bills did a lot to screw that at the end of the game up too. Yeah, and, and again, just thinking about context here, 
the Chiefs did all of that. They put up that those points. They moved the ball at in those moments. Put up forty two points against the number one defense in the NFL. I mean, th- this was not a this was not a Buffalo defense that uh, you know was full of scrubs or that was uh, that it was struggling or didn't have the ability uh, to stop this Chiefs offense. On that play, I, I think Kelsey ran a great route. Um, you know, and, and you said he was improvising. I, absolutely, he was. Uh, but there's not a lot of guys that can cover him when he is when he runs a crisp route. When, when that happens, it, it's it's over. Um, he's going to be open, and it, unless he's unless he's just getting destroyed coming off the line of scrimmage, he's he's going to find a spot. He's going to be open. And at that moment, this is a team that has been through it all. Right? They've had those games when Kelsey and Hill were taken out, when they were both beat up, when. Nobody seemed uh, to be able to rise to the occasion. They've been through their struggles. They've been to Super Bowls. There's nothing this team hadn't seen. And in that moment, those guys were locked in. It was uh, it was Jordan in the zone. It was LeBron in his prime. I've seen, I've heard all of the comparisons to the NBA, but those guys were absolutely locked in at that point in time. And you knew it was going to be them, and you knew they wouldn't be denied. And and it played out just like a like a movie. If this were a movie, you would say that it was not a realistic one. If this were Friday Night Lights, this would be a finish that you'd be like, "Come on, that, that's not no no game is really going to happen that way." Uh, and, and that's what just makes it uh, all the that much sweeter. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm glad you kind of got back to this this big, more bigger picture point because something you were talking about with Mahomes. This it almost feels like with with in this era of Mahomes as Chiefs fans. We've seen so many great moments. We've seen so many just like incredible, just like how the heck did that just happen that we haven't seen before in, in our fans, his, our fandom history. It almost kind of feels like you couldn't top what we've already seen. And like somehow this was even crazier of, of a performance in terms of just how, how good Mahomes is, just how you know inevitable he is. Or I mean, we saw the Chargers game earlier this year. I think it fits a very similar description. Like it looked like the Chiefs should have lost that game at some point. And they somehow come back and win that game. This team, that's where experience matters, man. It really is. You know, it's not like the Bills' lack of experience killed them. Although I do think there is something to that at the end of the game. And, and actually, maybe this is where I'll get into my next point. I think Andy Reid just outcoached Sean McDermott straight up. I, I, I keep seeing maybe some things where you know Andy may not have coached that well. I, I, you know, I, you know, AP post game. I shout out those guys that do a great job. Uh, Ron, the show Hughley actually joined Rocky and Serta last night and. He was kind of he was kind of putting a lot on Andy, right? He was kind of, you know, he was putting a lot of heat on Andy. Like if we would have lost this game, you know, Andy's on, you know, that's there's a lot on him to go off of. I don't necessarily know. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Like I, I think Andy Reid did a great job managing his timeouts, having all three of them at the end of that game. He also did a great job in terms of just getting, you know, the play calling to get those two plays. We saw Mike McCarthy with the Dallas Cowboys. When he had 14 seconds left, he ran a quarterback draw and didn't get the playoff. Didn't get a playoff the next snap. Andy Reid is getting 60 yards in 13 seconds and setting up a game tying field goal. He deserves credit for that. That's not just Mahomes. That's that's Andy Reid's play calling. You know, not 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 overthinking it. Get it to Tyree Kill really quick on that first play and get as many yards as possible, right? And I think that was that was an awesome play. So I don't know. I, I, and I think Sean McDermott kind of. Blew, I already kind of mentioned it, but I I think there was some Bill stuff where they just didn't manage the game down the stretch and and Andy. And 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 the other thing too with Andy, I guess, is just somehow some of the times how the offense was scoring. I mean, the designs, the screen game design, how he got Tyreek open at times, um, and just the the way they were using the running backs too. Which we'll get onto that. But overall, Andy Reid coached a hell of a game, in my opinion. I you know it's never going to be perfect, but um, when you're talking about yeah. the offense all in the game management part of it, I think Andy did a really good job. There'll be a couple of moments that you're right. If it had gone the other way, you you could second guess um, that. The play right after the Tyreek Hill punt return, um, that drive, the series where Mahomes didn't throw the ball uh, at all and, and it ended in a Blake Bell option, Ill, ill-fated a Blake yeah, Bell sure. option pitch that that, that went nowhere. That's one of those decisions that people will say, Andy Reid got too cute. Um, you know, you, you don't take the ball out of Mahomes' hands. Obviously, had that worked, then nobody would be complaining. You know, so it's really some revisionist history, right? It's it's that hindsight where trick plays are awesome when they work and, and stupid when they don't, right? Like there's there's just a uh, you know 
there's really those situations where um, it's kind of a no-win situation for the coach, right? It's it's you know you, you make a call, and if if it works, you're the hero. If it doesn't, uh, you're you're the you're the you're the reason it didn't work, uh, and whether that's fair or not. But I do think game management wise, um, and you pointed out some really specific plays when it comes to like Tyreek Hill's route tree um, and that and that screen to McKinnon that started the overtime drive. Those were a couple of plays that you talked about how they they sort of saved for that moment, right? Yeah, no, exactly. That I think say they they must have. Um, if you look at Tyreek, you know, next gen stats always does a great job. They have a they have like a map of the route tree, every route that a receiver ran for the game. And if you look at Tyreek's Every one of there was one other route that didn't get completed to him, but every other route he ran that game, besides his touchdown, was within ten yards, almost almost within five yards, honestly, of the line of scrimmage. Short passes, get him the ball in his hands quick, and let him, you know, get yak. And that's what you have to do against the Bills. But when it mattered most, I think they saved that intermediate inbreaker where they know there's they found they waited for a situation where they know they're gonna have two man, so cover two with man underneath. They manned up Tyree Kill with two safeties over the top. That's not always smart, um, and and they waited for the perfect time. And Ty- and and that's what happened. And then we you saw obviously Micah Hyde get broken down um, in space. But at the same time, you said the screen uh, in overtime. Yeah, that, that was a great screen design. Jeff Schwartz broke it down on Twitter. Go check that out for a closer look at it. But the best part about it, in my opinion, was the the design of it. It's not just a regular screen. It was so we actually saw this. They did this against the Steelers too, but. So Jerick McKinnon starts on the left. He actually, at, at the snap, goes right. Looks like it's going to be a play action, a little token play action fake. So he rolls right. That's going to make the linebackers go to the right as well. And then a second later, he's coming back to the left to receive that screen pass. And the linebackers that moved to the right, they never came back to the left, right, because there was other routes being picked up. So he just naturally moved right at first and then picked up another route. If he would have stayed to the left and he picked up another route, he still wouldn't have been able to come make the play because he was just in that general vicinity. So – it's a great play design by Andy, and the fact that he saved that for overtime. I mean, he didn't run that the entire regulation, but these screen designs, we talked about it last week. This is this is where Andy can really – like, this is where Andy puts his – you know, he this is where he puts it on the table, right? Like, this is, this is where he really can be a huge advantage over another defense, obviously, is, is the screen game. I think that's something that everyone talks about. He's the screen master. And we're seeing the best version of those screens in the playoffs. And with the running backs playing the way they are, that's the perfect way to kind of get the offense rolling at times. What I love about it is it's it's obviously a brilliant play design, a brilliant call, and the ability for him to save it for that for the exact right moment um, was great. I love the fact that they use that in order to get that drive rolling in overtime so that it doesn't stall out, that it doesn't, you know, there's no doubt that sets in. It's just Let's just keep this thing rolling, and this is a great way to keep it moving. But the other thing that you got to appreciate about that play and about the way that he coaches the screen game, and Jeff Swartz talks about this all the time. Uh, Jeff Allen's talked about it before. I've heard a lot of Chiefs offensive linemen and former offensive linemen talking about the precision in which he teaches the screen game, that it is a very, very precise, well-orchestrated thing. It's not um, relying – on you know players to to know you know exactly uh, rely on instinct or anything like that it is you you have to be in this exact spot at this exact time and it's so well coordinated those plays were beautifully executed so it takes play calling it takes good timing but it also takes great execution and that play especially with those three interior offensive linemen the way that they timed it the way that they moved in space the way that they sold it, you talked about McKinnon selling it uh, right as, as, a, as the snap got underway, but also Mahomes in his body language. He yeah, looked yeah. like, and I as I was watching that play, I remember for a split second thinking, oh, no, this play's in trouble because Mahomes had this body language like a quarterback who was who was under pressure, who was panicking. He, he you know, pump faked. He, uh, you know, kind of scrambled around, and he had this look about him like it was not a screen and things were, were breaking. And and uh, I think the the sell, the execution down to every detail, including their body language and being in exactly the right place at the right time, uh, 
you know, really speaks to the fact that they work on this, they practice it, and they don't just practice it, they practice every detail of it in such a way that when it matters the most, they can be so precise and, and execute so beautifully. Yeah, and you you that's the most impressive part about it, right, is you're talking about how much preparation this, this goes into it. There's two rookies in that in those three interior offensive line spots. I know Tooney is a, obviously – he's already one of the best screen guards in the game. People have talked about how – and that might be why, you know, the Chiefs wanted him. Hey, you know, in the Andy Reid screen game, this guy is a weapon by himself. No matter, He, he might be more important than who the running back is, right? Um, but then the, for the two rookies, for Creed and Trey to be, you know, so good with their landmarks already, so good where what they need to be. Jeff broke it down on that, that tweet, but Creed was the first one that needed to get out there, and he made the key block on that play. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is amazing. And it's why we didn't see the screen game as much last year, I think, is because they didn't have the offensive line to to do it. And now and now we might see the best screen design over the next few years of Andy's career because he might be able to do stuff that no other interior offensive line can do because of how well Tooney and Creed can move in space. And then, you know, Trey, Trey may not be able to move as well in space, but when he's out there, he's going to nail somebody and take him out of the play. So, um, yeah, it, it's an, it's exciting, man. It's, it, it's really exciting, uh, this offense right now, how it's, how it's turning, man. I really think, and this is, you know, we'll talk about the Bengals more, but I could really see this game just being like a, just, they're going to roll off this momentum. I really, I could really see the Chiefs kind of rolling um, in the AFC Championship, uh, not not maybe having too much trouble. That's just an initial reaction for me right now. <laughs> yeah, you bet. And, and again, I keep going back to the historical context of this game, and it reminds me a little bit of – I just started watching this Joe Montana documentary series on uh, Peacock, and uh, Joe Montana, Chiefs quarterback, uh, who also apparently played for the Niners prior to, to coming to Kansas City. I don't really remember that part of his career that much, but I'm joking, of course. But <laughs> Joe Montana's career was defined by him being clutch by him pulling out some magic when it mattered. And it it didn't work every time. There were times in his career when he struggled. There were games that the Niners lost uh, that they should have won. There were seasons where they struggled. But there were moments in his career that are that were absolutely legendary and will be talked about until football no longer exists. And one of them was the catch, the Dwight Clark catch, and that was, I believe, an NFC Championship game against the Cowboys when that was the hurdle that the Niners couldn't get over. They couldn't get past the Cowboys uh, until that game. And that drive to win that game and put them in the Super Bowl is sort of what's what launched his career and what made him the legend that he is today. I feel like that drive, that 13 seconds, um, and, and the way that Mahomes pulled this game out is going to be his version of the catch. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 13-second game forever. But, again, I go back to this point that Mahomes can't always do it. It's not going to happen every single time. But when it does, it is absolutely magical, and it was last night. And this is a game that he'll never forget and that really all football fans should never forget. Uh, it, as long as that we're talking about Mahomes, we're going to be talking about that game those drives, and you're right, they can use the momentum from this game. They can use that that confidence and that high uh, to, to just steamroll their way right back into the Super Bowl uh, and, and put another trophy in the case because this is a, a, a legacy-defining moment. They kept saying that prior to this game. This is going to be a legacy-defining game for both of these quarterbacks. And then you heard, I think it was Romo, kept saying it coming down the, the stretch. He was like, this – this drive, this play to define your legacy, to define where you stand in the ranks of not only current quarterbacks, but all-time quarterbacks. And, and, and now we have our answer. I mean, that is a definitively answered and, and just carved in stone for all of history. Uh, I, I don't know how else to say it other than that. It is a, uh, this is just one of those games that, that I, I think we're always going to be talking about. Yeah, I think it will go down as like the 13 second game. I, I think that's that's I think it's the defining part of this game. There were so many other things that happened, but the the whole reason the Chiefs won was because their quarterback was able to get them in field goal position with only 13 seconds. And that's just unheard of, ridiculous, crazy. I mean, you know, we, we joke about sometimes like you almost jokingly say, 
oh, there's too much time left on the clock when it's like even 30 seconds for a quarterback, right? Like a guy like Brady, I mean, that is probably too much time sometimes, but it's just, there was probably a lot of people that were jokingly right after that. I wasn't one of them because I was in, in shock, but jokingly after that being saying, oh, you left too much time for Mahomes, just like jokingly. I don't think anyone, you know, it's, it's, and I'm sure there were some people that, that, that had belief and, and had faith that it was going to work, but. No, uh, I, I think you're right, Stags. I think this is going to go down as one of the greatest games of all time. The implications of this game, how and and we've already talked about it a little bit, but how different things could be if this game goes the other way in terms of just Josh Allen's trajectory as a player, uh, just just Patrick Mahomes, the dynasty talk, right? It's not a dynasty if if you if you can't win multiple Super Bowls, and they would have only won one in four seasons. Now that dynasty talk is still alive. Yeah, I, I think this this game might be the defining moment of Patrick Mahomes career, depending on what the rest of the, what, where they go with the rest of this playoff run. Absolutely. And, and I kept thinking it is the greatest moment and the greatest game in Kansas city sports since that 2014 wildcard game for the Royals. And, and that really was a defining game for them as well. Right. You talk about the run that they went on their eventual world series title, uh, that championship team you know, was was a was on a run and they were the upstart and they were they were fun to watch and they played a unique brand of baseball but it wasn't until that game that they that that they really became champions became you know a, a Royals team that that will remember for a long long time and there was that one game that one epic game uh, that that really helped define it and and again I think this is this is the closest parallel that we've had uh, from the Chiefs to that game. Uh, since then but uh, moving on from from just the the glory that was Mahomes versus Allen uh, let's actually I actually want to talk a little bit about the Chiefs defense and I thought coming into this game there was so much hype around Josh Allen's ability to run the football and how that was going to be the downfall of the Chiefs defense and I thought for the most part they did a pretty decent job uh, defending this this running attack of of Allen and uh, and uh, Devin Singletary you know, the, the, as a team, they ran for 109 yards, um, you know, just over four yards a carry, it looks like. Allen had 68 yards, his longest was 14 yards. That Devin Singletary only had 26 yards rushing. Uh, he did have that one touchdown that was just wide open. But, you know, this was a, a Chiefs defense up front that, that really played pretty disciplined and, and seemed to get the job done. Uh, against against at least on the ground against uh, Josh Allen, which which I thought was a, a positive sign. Yeah, I actually I I do think the front seven played well. I think the front seven um, did a good job. You know, Allen's a great quarterback in terms of escaping pressure. There was a few times where penetration he just made it not matter, and and Mahomes can do that too. But Allen's a kind of a different beast when he gets rolling right, uh, gets gets kind of scrambling. So no, I think the front seven played well. They were able to get. You know, they're able to get some penetration, got a couple sacks, some key sacks, right? I, I think at really big times, the Ingram sack early in the game, you know, Buffalo was in Kansas City territory threatening the score. Uh, you know, later in the game, Jaron Reed gets that third down sack to force a punt. And actually, that's the Tyreek Hill return. Um, you know, you already mentioned we, we didn't score a touchdown on that drive, but that was a big moment in the game, right? Tyreek gets it all the way down to like the Chiefs 20 or 25. And so... Yeah, I, I do think the front seven played well, and even the linebackers too. I think Nick Bolton made a couple plays in the run game that were really big. Um, Willie Gay, I, you know, I don't, I can't remember a huge notable play, but I just think in the run game you mentioned they played well. Singletary wasn't didn't kill him. It was really the back end that you know there were some struggles with, and that was that was where the the issues came up for the defense. But before we get into that, I just the front seven should does deserve some credit. The Bills' offensive line has been playing really well lately too, and I do think for the most part the front seven won that matchup. Absolutely. And you mentioned Nick Bolton. Um, you know, I, I think he played really well, sort of an, continued to announce himself on the on the national stage. He's starting to get some recognition uh, for the way he's playing. Yeah, Melvin Ingram played like a man possessed. I, I think there was a lot of talk on Twitter that they should have had a, a contract in his hands uh, for, for the next couple of seasons before the game was over the way he was playing. I thought that was uh, that was a, a real positive. Um, you know, they, they really, again, played pretty disciplined football. Um, you know, there you could you could have had some more pressure. They could have they had a couple of moments where, you know, they had Josh Allen wrapped up. I know Ingram had one that he was he's really going to want back. Uh, where you could have had a, a real game changing sack there, but without 
without any turnovers and with the way that this Buffalo offense was playing uh, and with Tyron Matthew going out uh, with injury, you know, I, I don't think the Chiefs defense was great on this day, but they were obviously uh, pretty good in, in, in a couple of aspects of the game. They just had the one receiver and the, the one receiver once again uh, that they forget to cover. Yeah, and we have to acknowledge that safety Tyron Matthew went out very early. It might have been the first drive, if I remember correctly, um, where he he got a concussion and had to go in concussion protocol. And we actually didn't really get an update from Andy Reid after the game on that. He kind of just passed it over, which is probably pretty easy after a game like that. You're you probably kind of forget about that kind of stuff, maybe. And he's you know he's probably trying to get away with not having to say anything at this moment. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a big thing, right? I mean, Tyron Matthew, I, I do think there have been some times these last few weeks where he's missed some tackles. He hasn't been a, a great game changer. But you, you're you seeing you, that was proof of what he does on the field. I mean, he gets guys in the right position. He's not. There's no way Gabriel Davis is wide open that many times if Tyron Matthew's on the field for that game or, you know, down the stretch at least. And not all of it's on Tyron Matthew in terms – or, you know, not all of it is even on – you know, necessarily like someone putting guys in the right position because you got to just make a play sometimes. And and some cornerbacks just literally fell down when they had to make a play. So, um, but yeah, I, I do think that's a huge part of this. And and honestly, we got to kind of credit or just kind of congratulate, even though the defense didn't play well, the Chiefs won a game, you know, against the Bills, against one of the best offenses in the NFL without maybe their best player on the defense. I think Chris Jones probably rank above Tyron Matthew for this season, at least, but it's a big accomplishment to win that game without Tyron Matthew. I mean, that could have been a disaster. That could have been the game-changing thing. I mean, it really could have been. Yeah, I called out a lot of the secondary in in my article last night on Arrowhead Pride uh, where I have to do the winners and losers each week. Um, Tyron Tyron Matthew was a big loss, and I I mentioned that when they lost him, they looked lost thereafter. And and I think it really could have done, gone downhill because Traverius Ward played a pretty good game. Stephon Diggs did absolutely nothing, and a lot of that was due to the play of Ward. When Ward went down and it looked like he might be out for the game, uh, there I, there was some real panic about who was next up and how they were going to get by without two key members of the secondary. Luckily, Ward was able to come back in, uh, but obviously Hughes had his struggles. Um, the safeties – you know, struggled on a couple of different plays. And I think we'll talk about that in a minute because we had some really good questions on this topic. Um, but before we get to break, let's really quickly uh, look at the snap counts. Um, a couple of things I noticed just from the breakdown of last night, Jarek McKinnon and, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire were both back. They were the, the tandem for this game at running back. But it was a 70-30 split. 70% of the snaps were McKinnon, 30% Clyde. Uh, which I thought was really interesting. Both were highly productive in their snaps. Clyde had two carries of over 20 yards, uh, which is by far, uh, you know, his best, you know, in terms of big plays uh, so yeah. far in his career. Uh, he had 60 yards total on the ground, um, plus another catch, uh, you know, for for another nine yards. McKinnon had did most of his damage through the air, five catches with 54 yards. Uh, but also had 24 yards rushing. So, you know, the they Chiefs overall, especially with Patrick Mahomes doing his best um, to change the narrative that Josh Allen was the best running quarterback in that game, Mahomes put up 69 yards and a touchdown to lead the team. Um, but altogether, 182 yards rushing for the Chiefs against a very good Buffalo defense, two touchdowns on the ground, and good performances from Edwards Hilaire and from McKinnon with that 70-30 split, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. It is very interesting, and and it does it shows you that Andy's not outsmarting this or outthinking this, I should say. Um, Jarek's the hot hot hand. Get make him be the primary back. Clyde Clyde has a role, and he executed his role great. I mean, he was awesome in his role. But right now, Jarek is the primary back, and he's also the better back in the receiving game, and that's what matters right now. You know, we want the back that's going to be more you know, trustworthy to, 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 you know, catch a pass in the right situation or, you know, and make the most out of the catch. You know, we really, it really felt like Clyde should be that guy, but he just hasn't been. And that's okay. You know, we're, let's not worry about that right now. Right. Let's get him in the right role, which is, you know, give him, give him, Hey, if he's going to have those holes, like he did those two runs, I mean, let's, let's get him going. Cause that's where Go I was ahead. born is that yeah. it, it speaks to the offensive lines ability uh, that both of these backs were as productive as they were. 
And yep. when they weren't productive in previous games, it was Derek Gore, it was Daryl Williams. There's been a running back almost every game that we've talked about as saying this guy should be the lead back because they performed so well behind this offensive line. There were cavernous holes being opened up by this uh, by this line this week, especially that interior. Um, and, and I think a lot of credit should go to them, uh, both of the backs doing doing their job. I did notice you talking about. McKinnon being the better option in the passing game, I might argue one point that McKinnon might be the better option in the screen game. Uh, but w- when it comes to running true pass routes, uh, I saw Clyde's one catch was a nice hands catch on an out pattern. I believe yeah. that that it was a receiver type play. It wasn't a running back out of the backfield catch. That was a receiver catch, and we we've heard and seen that Clyde can do that. Um, so maybe that's more of a uh, a way that they break down those roles is that they can split the carries that McKinnon will be primarily featured on screens, but maybe you get some real wide receiver routes for, for Clyde continuing on through the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I'll plug myself a little bit. I, I, I wrote a whole article about how that fake reload motion where Clyde lines up as a receiver motions in, and then they snap it as he's motioning in. That's exactly what, what that play was. And it, and it turned into an out route where he was open for a nice little gain. But um, yeah, I, I, the, the thing with your, you know, you're thinking with Jarek being the screen guy is just that obviously you can't just have him in only for screen passes. Right. So <laughs> you, so that's why I would rather him be the primary back. So he can, you can disguise that, right? He's not the guy that's the change of pace and, oh, you know, 70% of the snaps he's in, you, you know, it's going to be a screen or a pass to him. I'd rather him be the primary guy. And then, you know, yeah, if, if let Clyde kind of get into a rhythm and if Clyde starts looking really good again and, and, you know, kind of trust, you know, gets Andy's trust back a little bit. Um, not that, you know, he's ever lost trust or anything, but it's just he hasn't been playing, right? And Andy's going to ride the guy that looks the best at the moment, I, and he should, and I think he's doing that the correct way right now. But that's the beauty of what's going on right now in this running back by committee is any of them could all of a sudden, you know, have the game, and, and that's all that matters, man. We, we shouldn't worry about who's number one, number two. I know it's just a talking point. It's, it's obviously, you know, something to talk about. But right now, man, it's, it's, it's just do or die. It's win or go home. And so whoever's going to be making the most plays for you that game, give them the ball. One more offensive takeaway from the snap counts, and then we'll get to a quick break. Uh, we got a lot of good questions on Twitter from this morning that we want to get to. But I noticed that uh, Byron Pringle has continued to be that wide receiver, too. He's got 76% of the snaps this week, um, scored. Obviously, um, he's he's been that guy. He's evolved into that role, and, and I think he's doing well with it. And McCole Hardman has really settled into his role. He only had 41% of the snaps, but – his role as a gadget player, he's starting to churn out some big plays, and and he had some in key moments uh, yesterday against the Bills. Uh, that touchdown of his was one of the plays of the day. Really, it's it, we might not remember it uh, as well as the last couple drives, but uh, that was a spectacular score uh, that he had. Really, uh, what I heard was his first rushing touchdown of his career. Um, that where he where he just flew up the sideline and dove into the end zone. Uh, so Hardman doing a lot in his role. It really feels like this offense has started to sort of to come to come round into shape, and and everybody kind of has their role, uh, and and they seem to to really be coming together in, in a way that's uh, that's a beautiful thing. You're 100 percent right. You know, the first couple of years of Michael Hardman's career, they're trying to get him to be a you know they they use him in gadgety ways, but a lot of times they are still trying to get him as a traditional receiver because they want to develop him to be a traditional receiver, right? Well, at this point, you know, they've tried that. It hasn't really worked, but you saw down the late stretch of the season, they've really just bought into, you know, let's just go all out on this gadget stuff. Let's not even worry about him being, you know, running downfield routes. And he does. It's not, I'm not saying he never does, but they have, they, I think you're right. They have seemingly like perfected his role where it is just so effective almost every time now he gets the ball. It seems like he's always he always has open space now. It's never it just never seems like it's a negative play. There was one negative play last week against the Steelers on the first drive, but it just always seems like they're giving him the ball in the perfect situation. They're not forcing it too much. They're not going too little of it, right? I feel like it is a perfect balance of let's get McCole the ball in his hands three, four, or five times in, in good situations. And one of those times he's shown that he'll pop it off, man. That was a great play. I didn't, you didn't, it did not look like a touchdown, right? It did not look like one at first. And he just all of a sudden comes out of that little pile and, and, and his speed is just ridiculous. So no, he's a weapon, man. He has really perfected his gadget role and it's really cool to see. Absolutely. We'll tell you what, this is a good place to take a break. We'll hear from our sponsors. We'll come right back with a lot more of your questions, a couple more snap count takeaways, 
and so much more on the Victory Monday edition, the Out of Structure podcast. Stay with us. Uh, We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Welcome back in Chiefs Kingdom, another edition of the Outer Structure Podcast, celebrating a huge win in the divisional round over the Buffalo Bills, 42-36 in overtime, man, what a game that was, we're still, we still got plenty to talk about in that game, and we were going through snap counts before the break, we're going to go into some defensive ones now, we're going to start with the linebacker group, because I do think it was noticeable, or notable I should say, that for this game, Anthony Hitchens was the lowest of the snap counts out of the three guys. Willie Gay got 66% of the snaps. Bolton got 58%. And Anthony Hitchens, the veteran, got 42%. I like that stack. I think that's a, a developing a development that's really good for this team. I think Bolton and Gay are the, the guys that need to be on the field the most. And it does seem like the Chiefs have been stubborn about, you know, we want the veteran on the field. We want the guy that we trust with the defense. But you know, I'm sure as time has went on, they've trusted Bolton more and more to maybe be the Mike linebacker in those situations and set stuff up. So I'm encouraged by the fact that they're they're willing to put Gay and Bolton on the field more than Hitch right now. Yeah, I, I think of it in, in this way that they've given these young linebackers a really long runway to build up and become the players that we think they can be. It's been frustrating at times because you see the athleticism, you see the upside, and you say, why in the world would they not – just have both of those guys on the field 100% of the time. They've really, I think, been easing them into their roles, uh, letting them find their way, uh, and building up that trust from the defense. And I think you're starting to see that transition away from Hitchens, the guy that they've trusted this entire time, and, and really saying, okay, Gay and Bolton are the future, but they're also the present. And they've the, they've ramped up to the point where they can be trusted, and they're more likely to make a big play in the favor of the defense, and therefore you want to see them on the field more. I think this process is going to continue, but it really does point in the direction of these guys being the primary linebackers to be featured going into next season uh, with Anthony Hitchens has a contract uh, that makes it fairly cost prohibitive for him to even be around, but I think they're showing that they can be prepared for that moment. Uh, and I think there's going to be some more big plays and big moments from Gay and Bolton in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, there will be, man. I mean, Nick Bolton has just been money all year against the run. I mean, that guy just flies through a gap and makes tackles. He does not miss those tackles, it seems like. Um, and and so he's just had such a weapon in the run game. And Willie didn't make a big play this game, but it does seem like for that last stretch of the season, it, he got to a point where it was just at least once a game, he was getting his hand on a ball or he was just making a big tackle in, in the past game or even sometimes blitzing. I mean, he's he's kind of the guy who can do it all. So in, in a league where there's going to be two linebackers on the field, a whole heck of a lot more, there's going to be three linebackers on the field. You need your best linebackers. You need the best two on the field in those situations. And it's and it's not Hitch. It's just not. I, I think Hitch has done some good things for this team. He's played well in spurts, but there was plenty of examples last night where, and and they might have even been why they 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 kind of went away from him more because it was from the first play of the game. Devin Singletary put him in a in a blender right away, um, and and from there it didn't really get much better most for most of the time for Hitch. But no, it is exciting. We got a lot, we got some young playmakers on the defense that continue to step up. I mean, we're we're seeing a new wave of defenders with a guy like Legarius Need too. I mean, he didn't have the greatest game, but you know he's a good player as well, and and, and a part of this new wave of defensive players. You bet with a couple of key additions in this offseason, you can really see the transformation being complete to a faster, 
um, you know, better defense when it comes to playmaking and one more suited for the modern NFL. So uh, speaking of fast playmakers, um, the Chiefs' safety play was was not surprisingly um, Dan Sorensen, 92% of the snaps. Armani Watts had 27%. Uh, and, and notably, uh, Watts was one of the guys beaten, at least on on one of the, the Gabe Davis touchdowns. Um, so, you know, again, no surprise with Matthew out. These other guys that were forced into action, forced to play more snaps than you normally would like to see it. Uh, but I think that was a big reason, along with the miscommunications in the secondary, uh, some of the safety play just not quite getting the right depth uh, or not quite being decisive enough in the moment or getting to where they needed to be. I think all three of those guys, Sorensen, Thornhill, and Watts, were all guilty of that at different times in this game. And it was a big reason why Josh Allen was able to carve up that secondary, especially coming down the stretch. Yep, you're totally right. No, you are. It's, it's the safety group was 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 a very big part of the defense kind of having a bad day. Um, we already mentioned, I really like what the front seven did. And I, and I think the back seven, I mean, there's nothing you can, I mean, it, it's basic guys. You, there's nothing more comp. There's nothing more complicated than just you watching the game. And Gabriel Davis is wide open, like not even close to having anyone near him. Like every one of his catches, it was ridiculous. Um, and, and, and the, then the, obviously the one where he did have someone close to him was the big touchdown, um, on the first play of the drive in the fourth quarter, he throws it over Thornhill's head. And I just, that's the thing, man. I, that, that's a bad play. That's a bad play on Thornhill's part. We, we've seen some good stuff from Thornhill, but stuff like that is, is why we shouldn't. And this is kind of a big picture statement, but I don't know when you're thinking about the sa- the future of the safety position, I don't think Thornhill should just be like this penciled or penned in, you know, sharpied in guy that's going to be you know a, a, our next one of our starting safeties for the next half decade or whatever it's he's he needs to prove himself a little more and that was a big opportunity for him too without Matthew in right it was a big opportunity for him to show his value as a guy that can maybe lead the secondary and that's a big mistake to make man he, he let Gabriel Davis get over the top of him when he's in a deep coverage I mean that's just the cardinal rule I mean we teach that to our middle school kids if you're the deep safety no one can get over the top of you no one can get deeper than you you are the deepest person on the field and there was not really a good reason for him to I mean you know I think he just out you know he just misplayed it a little bit he just mistimed it he may have not given Davis enough credit for how fast he is I do think that might have been part of it too because Davis is a pretty unknown name honestly so all I have to say man I the safety group did not play well but when you don't have your best player and you know the safety group is kind of shallow as it is right I mean Armani Watts doesn't play defense and he had to play a lot of snaps this game so um, that that's gonna that's gonna hurt you a little bit. It, it just naturally will. You bet. That'll be an interesting position to watch into the off season and see how the Chiefs address it. Because obviously, there's been calls for the last four years to replace Dan Sorensen, Juan uh, Thornhill's future with the Chiefs. As you mentioned, you know, I, I still think he's a guy you want around, um, but maybe he ends up being the third safety, and and they and they replace him uh, with somebody else. And Tyron Matthews' contract obviously is up as well, so. Could be a lot of turnover in that department uh, in this offseason. One position we will not see any turnover this offseason, at least at the top, uh, Patrick Mahomes in the quarterback position. We got a lot of questions about Mahomes, and most of it is, can we just assign some more superlatives to this guy? What else can we say about him? So I'm going to read through a couple of these and let Ron react to him uh, At Backstretch Gap on Twitter, have we reached the point where the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks is just Patrick Mahomes with four different facial expressions, which I think is a, a beautiful question. Very well phrased. Uh, Joshua Wyant on Twitter is Mahomes from Krypton. Uh, you know, again, what what else can you say about Patrick Mahomes and the performance that he put on last night and, and, and how he he's playing as a quarterback? Yeah, well, the thing with Josh's question is, if he was from Krypton, there'd have to be some kryptonite, right? Uh, that that he has, and and uh, doesn't seem like there there's much kryptonite besides maybe Tom Brady. Um, so yeah, that's funny. I will say, guys, real quick, and me and Stags didn't talk about this, but um, beforehand at least, but I, I meant to say this last episode, but we had some people reach out. You know, you might not have Twitter, you may not have Twitter to ask questions. So I actually did set up a Gmail account for you, special listeners. So you can get your questions in and we can answer them that way. And so if you if you are listening, you want to submit a question for next week or just during, you know, after the game next week before the show records Monday morning, um, email apoutofstructure at gmail.com. 
and and we'll get your questions. I'll hopefully, answer them all. Um, so yeah, if you, if you have that, if you want to uh, ask questions that way, please do. So I wanted to get that in stags because I meant to say it last week, and I know we got some listeners that would love to ask some questions. You know, not everyone is a you know on on Twitter on the Bird app, which you know it's probably a good thing. You're probably a smart person, not not experiencing <laughs> what happens on the Bird app sometimes. No, that's great, Ryan. Way to be accommodating. Um, uh, next up, we'll, we'll come up with the P.O. box for those who want to stay on mail us some questions. And we'll get through <laughs> them, uh, uh, for three weeks down the road, maybe that'll be an off-season thing. All right, um, let's talk a little bit more about this game. Uh, Steve Mack at Good Chiefs. Uh, maybe this isn't about this game, but it's a fun question. What's the most fun you've ever had in 13 seconds? Let me go ahead and be the first one to answer this because I, I'm going to keep it professional and say – Last night was the most fun I've had 13 seconds watching the Chiefs <laughs> set up and win that game. Ryan, do you have a better example, uh, an appropriate example here for the most fun you've had in 13 seconds? I was going to say an inappropriate person would have a great answer to this question, but an appropriate person would say there is no way there has been a more fun 13 seconds than than what happened last night. Um, I Unbelievable, man. I will never get over this. Uh, it, it, just crazy. So, uh, yeah, no, nothing, nothing tops that. <laughs> at Alex Guerrero 55 on Twitter. How about those chiefs? He's got a couple of two part question here. One, did it look like the chiefs defense was tired towards the end of the game? And, and I, I heard some people talking about how um, Chris Jones was not in the game on that last touchdown and, and Frank Clark and others looked, uh, looked tired, looked like they were not in, in fully into their stance, even when the snap happened. Um, I didn't notice that uh, on the first watch. I don't know if you watched, if you caught that on the rewatch run. Uh, did you see a lot of uh, exhausted Chiefs defenders? You know, I didn't notice it particularly, but I bet that is the case. I, I will say, like Frank Clark on a few of them, yeah, he's trying to chase Josh Allen. He just doesn't have the legs to do it. But I think that's a lot of just to do with that. Josh Allen's probably just faster than him, and Clark at some point, you know, you're sprinting and you can see him pulling away from you. You're not just going to keep sprinting at some point. You know, he's he's he understands how it works, so. I didn't notice, yeah, I noticed that on one on one Josh Allen run on the sideline that Clark yeah. was, was given chase and and I think that it would be easy to criticize and be like oh look he pulled up at the end he didn't even he didn't even you know lay out or, or try to grab him but uh, uh, he wasn't catching him. Yeah, and and there is some to that though. I do think not having the buy. How many we? I mean, we've talked about this over and over, but how many games this team has played over the last three years not having a buy? Um, that will weigh on these guys, especially these veterans, man. I mean, no team has played more football than the Chiefs, so I could see it definitely playing a role. And and maybe they're just overall, you know, level of fatigue. But the fact that it didn't let them, it didn't let them, you know, uh, lose. Game, I mean, that's that's props to them for not, you know, still overcoming that. Now, now, uh, we're talking specifically about the defense. It sure looked like the defense lost the game. Uh, like Josh yeah, Allen, that's true. <laughs> and, that, and this game was over with 13 seconds left uh, from the defensive standpoint. And I don't know what would have happened if the Chiefs had lost the coin toss and, and the Bills had the first uh, possession in overtime. There's a pretty decent chance they marched down the field and score a touchdown and win as well. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to bag on this defense too much, but, you know, they, they certainly were, were not in a position late in that game where they were going to get the big stop where you could really feel comfortable about it. They, uh, they were close. Uh, but not there, and and I don't know if fatigue was part of that or the second part of Alex's question here uh, was it that Hughes was a liability in man coverage or are the Bills receivers that good? Yeah, Hughes did not have a good game. Um, it, it just wasn't. You know, Gabriel Davis really shook him on a few routes, and and I'm sorry, you know, it was his breakout game. He looks to be a really good player, but. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I don't know if uh if if that Mike Hughes if that's gonna work out after this year. I think that was a he's a playmaker. He he's a guy that he can be a good punt returner. He makes plays on the ball. He's had like four forced fumbles this year, but I think there's a reason uh, Minnesota let him go, and I think there's a reason he's probably gonna be looking for another team this offseason. Unfortunately, we'll always have that one game, the one game with the peanut uh, the peanut Tillman punch for for Mike yeah. Hughes. All right, Michael Brennan at Casey underscore Raider hater. I'll, I'll just read it. I assume that's what it says. How about that Chiefs running game? And I'm not even talking about Patrick Mahomes. Look at Clyde Edward Tillaire over eight yards a carry. Eight yards a carry. Wow. Tw- two 20 yard runs is going to skew that stat a little bit, obviously, but I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, um, that's, that's part of the running game. 
Yeah, no, I, I really liked how how north south Clyde was getting. I feel like that's one thing in his past or in the you know just in general his career so far. It does seem like sometimes he's really good at it, but he just gets he's just a little too east west, just a little too change of direction, kind of. You know, I think you made a good point. We were talking about it before. You said kind of bracing for contact a little bit. I do think there is something to that. But that those two runs, he saw that gap and he just shot it, man. And he looked a lot faster than I feel like he has at some times this season. A lot more explosive and a guy that, you know, I say we don't have running backs that can take advantage of, of the big holes that the line blows up. Well, he sure did there. He sure made me look dumb. So I, if he continues to do that, man, it, it, it's it's nice to have these just so many options at the running back position because it's really a position – you know, someone's going to get hurt, you know, potentially, or, you know, Daryl's obviously hurt right now, or it's just a position. You don't want someone who's fatigued either. Someone who's tired. You want fresh legs at that position at all times. And it seems like the chiefs are going to have that no matter what uh, they're going to have fresh legs. feels like every off season, when it comes down to the 53 man roster cuts, I'm arguing that the chiefs need to keep at least four running backs plus a plus a fullback. And a lot of people are saying, let's carry two or three running backs and use us use those positions elsewhere, but you're seeing now why you need multiple running backs. They do get hurt. You do need a rotation, um, and, and they've done that. Interestingly, in the, in the game against Buffalo, there's really only 17 carries between those two running backs. No other running back touched the ball. You had Hardman with two carries, Hill with two carries, Mahomes with seven of his own. But Clyde had seven, McKinnon had 10 carries in this game. Obviously, Clyde made the most of his, and, and again, that is as sharp as we've seen him. In, in limited action, only 30% of the snaps, less carries than McKinnon. But I think, again, they could have been easing him back in the game a little bit. They weren't sure, uh, you know, that he was going to play today until, you know, later in the week. So you might see more Clyde in the next game. The split's not always going to be the same. But 17 carries, 7 to Clyde, 10 to McKinnon is probably pretty close to the breakdown that we would have wanted to see prior to the game. Uh, especially when you add in that McKinnon had five catches on seven targets. Uh, Clyde had one catch on his two targets. So um, it was a pretty even split with uh, with McKinnon really being the lead guy, uh, but, but Clyde being pretty effective. I, I think it worked well today. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, next week. I, I imagine that split will continue to evolve, uh, but those guys should continue to have the bulk of the carries. It'll be really interesting when Daryl Williams comes back because uh, you can split, split the carries two ways pretty well. I don't know what happens when they split it three ways, uh, how they're going to get production. But good problems to have, again, speaks to the strength and the depth of that position, but also the strength of that offensive line. You can't forget about the big guys up front because this team all of a sudden can run the ball effectively with power or zone, you know, gap or yep. zone, short yardage or, or not. Um, yep. That makes this offense more dynamic when they can not only run the ball and convert those short yarded situations, but they can run the ball at 10 and 20 yard clips. That's a big play coming out of the the backfield. And if you're getting big plays in the run game and big games in the big games in the pass game, obviously this, this offense is going to be impossible to stop. Yeah, no, you summed it up nicely, Stags. I don't have anything to add to that. And I do see we have some Bengals questions. So I, I let's get into these Bengals questions before we get out of here. All right, at Swisher Sports, assuming Tyron clears the concussion protocol and can play, how can the Chiefs take away Jamar Chase? There's a couple other questions here at Errors Ocean. Should the Chiefs just focus on taking away Chase, make the Bengals find some other way to win, uh, and Bolton Burner on Twitter would Spags double-team Chase? So a lot of uh, concern already thinking ahead to Jamar Chase, who set a a record uh, last time against the Chiefs, just like, Gabriel Davis did in the playoffs. By the way, Gabriel Davis, 201 yards receiving, four touchdowns, and it's the only four-touchdown performance for any receiver in NFL history. Uh, I was a little surprised. Wow. That's that's a really, really impressive performance by him, just like Chase did as well. You don't want to be that defense that that, (laughs) the players are setting records against, uh, but – do you think that they change things up in, in next week and, and, and try to do something different against Jamar Chase? You know, I do think there'll be a little bit of change. I do think Spags will understand that he, he shouldn't have to trust cover zero blitzes, if at all, against Burrow. If you're watching, if you watch that Titans game Saturday, I mean, their offensive line could not hold up. And, and it was they were lucky to even get out of that game with Burrow alive, let alone winning the game. 
Um, I think the Titans really blew that game. Um, I, I really think that was more on the Titans not showing up than the Bengals uh, actually winning the game. But you got to give credit, you know, in the playoffs, you know, a good defense. The Bengals have a, a solid defense and and they stopped, you know, the first game against the Chiefs, they stopped them a couple times. But with the Spags part, I do think they may not trust cover zero blitzes as much. They may not just put Chase on an island as much. But they're still going to do it, man. It, it, it is it is absolutely – that's what Spags does. He And, and we've talked about this before with on this pod, but he doesn't really change his stripes. You know, he, he kind of does what he does. He trusts his players, and I think his player, players like that. The players buy into that. It makes them play harder and, you know, play for him. But I, I do think he needs to just be a little more careful this week. You know, just just don't send the house on third and 27. I mean, that's all we're asking. I mean, you can send the house on other in other situations just – Play a little more safe when the when the game is really truly on the line or when there's a big play needing to happen. Because when there's when Burrow needs to make a big play, it's going to Jamar Chase. So just be prepared for that, right? And and those big situations don't make it easier for him by allowing him to be in a one-on-one uh, situation. Yeah, I don't think that they can just try to take away Chase and make someone else beat him because the Bengals have other receivers that can beat you. So yes. it's not uh, it's not necessarily the right strategy to 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 go to the third guy. I mean, you, you could say that they did that against the Bills. They took away Stephon Diggs and made somebody else beat him. They actually also, by the way, we haven't talked about this, but Chiefs did a great job taking away Dawson Knox. Yeah. Knox had, as a tight end had, you know, was coming off I think a hundred yard game and had, has had some some big games uh recently against the Chiefs and the rest of the NFL. Uh that's a and that the tight end position's a tough one for the Chiefs to cover, especially without Matthew in the game. So uh, Dawson Knox did literally nothing in this game. Uh, Stefan Diggs did literally nothing in this game. And they still had a record-setting performance by their number three or number four wide receiver in, in Gabriel Davis. So you don't you don't think that uh, – I don't think that that's a good philosophy against the Bengals is to try to hope that you can shut down one guy, make the rest of them beat you, because they probably are going to beat you in that scenario. So uh, – We'll see what they decide to do. I do think this entire defense is predicated upon pressure. So if they're not getting pressure, then they're not going to win, regardless of what happens on the back end. So they're not going to sacrifice pressure in, in favor of double and triple coverages or, or just sitting back and 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 trying to be uh, trying to be safe. So I I do think that that's just the, at the core of what this team's going to do and and how they can win on defense. You might end up with another shootout next week. Well, the way Patrick Mahomes and this offense is playing, I think your confidence level has to be pretty high. Uh, Daniel Horse asks, will Sunday's game match the intensity? The intensity that made uh, Daniel lose his voice last <laughs> night and probably an awful lot of others in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm surprised you're still talking, Ron. So uh, you think this game will be as intense, and do you think uh, that that uh, it, it'll be a shootout like uh, the Buffalo Bills game? You know, you're right. I am surprised how well my voice held up. Um, I think it was because I got the practice from the Steelers game. That kind of got me a warm-up week. Um, you know, that kind of always helps. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I do think there is a potential for a letdown, right? I, I believe, I'm confident that the Chiefs will use this as momentum and, and come out rolling. And I actually think, if you're asking me right now, I do think the Chiefs might just – it might not even be a game um, uh, to some extent. Um, the Bengals have been a great story, but – the playoff games have gotten a little just kind of, you know, they haven't been they haven't been very impressive in the playoffs, honestly, in my opinion. They really haven't. Joe Burrow has been good enough, but um, all that to say, though, I do think there's a letdown spot. I really do. I, I, I think, you know, this has so much energy, so much momentum going into this game, so much took out of them probably after this game. They're probably going to have to catch up on sleep, you know, after these first two days, right? Um, I do think there could be a, a chance that they just can't match that same energy and this is the Bengals Super Bowl right here, obviously, you know, um, and and they they just there's just no way you can match the hunger of a team that hasn't done it yet, in my opinion. But I do think the Chiefs, I trust the Chiefs will will find a way to to come out with enough motivation, um, even if it doesn't necessarily match the level of motivation that a young, hungry team like the Bengals probably have. And we talked about it with this Buffalo game that the Chiefs really had more pressure on them than I think than the Bills did. Uh, the Chiefs are the incumbent. The Bills had something to prove and nothing to lose. And and I think the, the Chiefs had a lot to lose, and the expectations are so high that if this Chiefs season ends anywhere other than the Super Bowl, uh, the, then it's a disappointment. And I think there's the Bengals team is one that does not have those same expectations, that they are starting to, 
to be a team on the rise, but I think the universally thought is that they're not quite there yet. Um, I do think the Chiefs are the better team. Clearly, it was a little bit harder to say that this week against Buffalo. I think those teams were extremely evenly matched, as we saw. Uh, the Bengals team is is not quite on that same level. And so you expect the Chiefs to take care of business. They've been there before. They are professionals um, in every sense of the word, but they, they've been battle-tested. They've been through struggles. And, and I think it, that even if it's not the same high as they had this week, uh, they'll do what it takes to get the job done. And with that, I think we better say that we have our job done for today. Uh, it's been tough to put context around. It's such an epic game. Uh, but I appreciate you all tuning in, spending some time with us, and, and trying to wrap your minds around uh, that the 13-second game, the most epic performance that we've seen in, in recent memory, at least. I uh, hope you're enjoying it as a Chiefs fan. Hope you're enjoying all of the Airhead Pride Podcast Network. Please rate and review wherever you do that. Tune in next week, and let's have the same conversation one more time en route to the Super Bowl run. Uh, for Ron Cop Jr., Matt Stagner, this is the Out of Structure Podcast. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week.